0: Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Have
0: fun with that.
1: (laughs) You fix it. Okay. And welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? The pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts this week, uh, your captain, if you would, uh, Pete Romberg. I'm a curriculum developer. And joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. In this episode, I'd say first mate, but honestly, it's more like co-captain.
0: I was about to say, (laughs) you do not get to relegate me to first mate, Peter. (laughs) Uh, But what I am is a professional librarian, and my name is Martha Sullivan. And today
1: we are talking about sea shanties and boat life. Uh, we've got a couple very different medias to be uh, discussing today. Uh, Master and Commander, a Napoleonic-era of Sail boat movie. And Blow the Man Down, a modern-day coastal Maine thriller. I guess it's a thriller? Um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but before we get into that and, uh, you know, yo-ho-hoing bottles of rum, talking about sea shanties... It is only fair that we uh, tell you what is stuck in our heads this week. So, Martha, what is stuck in your head? This is, of course, any piece of pop culture or media you just want to talk about before we get to the main bulk of the episode.
0: Uh, so, I have been watching an irresponsible number of movies recently. I think Same. I watched 24 movies over the course of February. I, and this is. Not,
1: not, not to, to cut you off too much, I didn't get to 24. But I've watched more movies in February than I had in, like, the previous three months combined.
0: Yes. And these have been a total mix of new-to-me, rewatches, just all over the map. Um, and one of the things I've been doing is re-watching a bunch of the Pixar movies. Hmm. Um, they, I listen to a podcast that's all about ranking movies and they did a comprehensive ranking of all of the Pixar movies. And I strongly disagreed with many of their choices on where they placed the movies, but I hadn't seen them in a while. So I thought I should watch these and see if they're as good as I remember. And I have good news for you all. They are, <laughs> um, I have rewatched WALL-E and Ratatouille. Well, I rewatched for Ratatouille this recently for, for this, this yeah. uh, for this show. Um, And most recently, I rewatched Inside Out, which Mm. was a movie that, at the time, I remembered watching it, and obviously I cried because I'm not a monster. Um, But the first time I watched it, I remembered thinking that I did not think it was... Did not think it quite measured up to the best of what I felt Pixar had to offer. And on rewatch, I thought it was much better than I had remembered it. Mm. And the big thing about Inside Out is that while I still don't think it is their best movie, I think that that is hmm It might be their most important movie, especially for children, because the messaging of it is so deeply important for a kid to learn. Like, it is about a girl, a preteen girl learning that it is okay to feel your feelings when they are, like uglier feelings like it is okay to be sad it is Mm -hmm. okay to be angry it is okay to be afraid um like the adults in this movie tell riley the little girl like
1: like smile be happy
0: where yeah like we need you to be our happy girl and that is the source of conflict so that by the end of the movie like her emotional arc resolves when she comes to understand and communicates to her parents like that she's unhappy and in doing so is able to like get closer to her parents and be honest with herself and finally move on from this really depressive rut that she's been in and kids so often particularly little girls get told like just smile like be our happy girl you know, things are so much easier when you're cheerful, that it is so important to me that they know that feeling things like anger and sadness are not only natural, but healthy. So I have been thinking about that one for a very long time. (laughs) Um, And I enjoyed the chance to revisit it. Nice. I also rewatched Up, which has the highest concentration of extremely pure, extremely pure characters of any movie ever made. <laughs> also, um. the
1: the uh <laughs> the opening of Up is a p- masterclass in telling a story through visual media, uh, and also you know the most devastating eight minutes Pixar has ever made.
0: It's not though. Like like I said, it's it's a beautiful piece of storytelling. But I've been thinking about that a lot, too. And I don't think it's devastating because Carl and Ellie live a life together. Like, they go through sad times. They go through happy times. They get to live a complete life with each other. And, yes, Carl outlives Ellie. But when she dies, it's, it's after this long, like, 50-plus year life that they've had together. I don't think, I don't think it's devastating. I think it's very sad. Um, But it did not strike me as being tragic or... That's
1: true. The fact that they lived a life together, though, is what makes the end so much... Like, I I totally get what you're saying. And yet, also, it is the modern-day voight kampf test, right? Like, (laughs) you... Well, uh...
0: something can be sad and not be... No, I'm just saying, like, it is,
1: it is, you're right that it's not devastating, but it is perfectly tailored to, it plays your emotions like a fiddle. You know, like, it, it is, it is a perfectly engineered, and this makes it all sound way too, like, cold and clinical, but, like, it's a perfectly engineered sequence to take you on this emotional journey that they want to take you on, you know? Like, by, by, by the end of that sequence, there is not a dry eye in the house.
0: I have some issues with the way that you're phrasing this, but I don't really want to spend the time dissecting that here. That's, that's, very, that's very
1: fair. Uh, also, maybe we have a Pixar episode coming down the pipe. Uh,
0: I mean, <laughs>
1: not a bad they're idea. They're all on
0: Disney. Plus. Right. Yeah, but what's stuck in your head? Today? Uh,
1: so, what's stuck in my head is a nonfiction book that I just finished reading today. Um, I've been, for whatever reason, consuming a lot of non-fiction media recently about either the Byzantine Empire or the Ottoman Empire, uh, or just that general time period and, uh, location, uh, you know, Eastern Europe slash the Middle East in the Middle Ages. Um, and I just finished a book by, uh, the pop historian Roger Crowley called 1453. It has the somewhat unfortunate subtitle of The Holy War for Constantinople— and the Clash of Islam and the West, which feels very much like a subtitle for a book that came out in 2005, which is when this book came out, trying to play up the, you know, Clash of Civilizations idea we were all going through. Um, If you get past that, it's just about the fall of Constantinople, um, the capital of the first Roman and then Byzantine Empire uh, that stood unconquered for a thousand years, until finally uh, the Ottomans under Mehmet brought cannons— uh, and used cannons in a siege for essentially not the first time, but essentially the first time, uh, and and took the city. It's a fascinating story. I have, you know, I, as a history major, I long knew that, yes, the Ottomans eventually conquered Constantinople, turned it into Istanbul, made it their own capital. But everyone kind of, for good reasons, yada yada the siege. Um, most of my history courses on it sort of were like cannons were there, but they were a little bit overrated. Uh, Eventually the city was taken, whatever. This book is like a blow by blow account of that two to three, like three month long siege. uh, And it's very fascinating and interesting from that perspective, like just getting the sense of like what exactly it took to actually conquer the city and how close uh, Mehmet came to failing to actually take the city, um, even with cannons and everything else. Uh, it's also inc- I'm
0: glad you're enjoying it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is incredibly readable and digestible. Uh, the author, Roger Crowley, um, British author, I think, uh, has a fair number of books in this time period. One is on Portugal in the Indian Ocean. Um, one is on Venice. He's a good pop history author in the sense that it's just easily digestible, no footnotes, spin a good yarn, you know, kind of kind of history author, and I appreciate that. Um, Martha, I know that you're always looking for nonfiction, or I guess pre-COVID, you were looking for nonfiction books to read occasionally.
0: <laughs> I am. I I last year, um, before the pandemic hit, I made it a goal to read one nonfiction book a month. I made it to about June when my brain just shut down and I did not do a whole lot of reading in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm reviving that tradition now. Um, I read a I read a very very interesting uh book about how human appetite is driving extinction and vice versa. Hmm. And so that was my book for February. So yes, I am always looking for good nonfiction, particularly good nonfiction that I can listen to as an audiobook. Hmm.
1: I I cannot recommend this one way or the other as an audiobook because I actually read it, but um if you are interested in history of the late medieval early modern era of things you haven't thought about like Venice uh this author is a pretty good author can't can't speak to the quality of the audiobooks though all right and with that we are going to be taking a quick break so uh stick around and we will be right back talking about sea shanties Once was a ship that put to sea, the name of the ship was a belly of tea. The winds blew up her bow, dipped down below, my belly boys blow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. And we are back. So today we are talking about sea shanties and boat life. Uh, this topic sort of came about for twofold reasons. First, uh, we're still in a pandemic and and lockdown, and you know we've been seeing a lot of the same people a lot, living with our spouses, not going out to see others that uh, you know terribly much. So it feels kind of like living on a boat during the age of sail, when you're just there with your crew on the water forever. Um, and also, back in mid-January, a sea shanty craze swept the TikToks. Um,
0: well, sea- I I don't think this is an also. I think this is a because of this.
1: Mm, you think that the, the sea shanty craze was caused because of the quarantine?
0: I think it took off because of quarantine.
1: Do, do so, we, yeah, go, go for it. Okay,
0: so... Back in early January, a TikTok user named Nathan Evans, his TikTok handle has two S's at the end, um, he released. So he has a couple of these videos. Like this was not the first Sea Shanty that he had um, done as a TikTok of himself performing. Um, but the particular one that really stole everybody's attention uh, is a tune called The Weller Man. And he recorded it. Uh, just him singing a cappella, hitting his desk with his fist to keep his beat. And what happened was, and I think that for a reason, like I think that we can have a discussion about how quarantine took hold of this one. Um, people started to do TikTok duets with him filling in the melody. So a very, very talented bass singer um, named Luke, the voice, uh, Recorded a duet with um, this song, which if you're not familiar with the parlance of TikTok, means you take somebody's video and record your own side by side with it. So Nathan Evans' track from The Weller Man and then Luke The Voice has his bass underneath and people started iterating on this. So you get different versions of duets and sometimes duets of duets as people layer in their own parts over this original song. And like I said, this was not Evans's first TikTok sea shanty, but I think because it, the Wellerman hit when it hit, in January in the middle of winter, <laughs> when we were all kind of at, I I think it's fair to say a pretty low point, uh-huh. uh, coming up on a year of being in quarantine, um, people took advantage of the TikTok format, to connect with and create something really really fascinating. Uh, with this video. And I, I think that part of that attraction is what a sea shanty is, which is a song about being out at sea with the people that you are trapped on this boat with. Um, so I think there were a couple of con, a couple of convalescing. I don't think that's the right use of that word.
1: It is not. Carry on.
0: <laughs> a couple of coalescing factors um, that were kind of adhered to with all of the loneliness and isolation that we were feeling because of the pandemic.
1: Well, the other thing which I think makes it so TikTok-friendly is that Sea Shanties were originally sort of work songs, so they're songs that absolutely can be sung cappella. Like, you can have instrumental accompaniment, but you don't need it. So that I think that does help aid the TikTokification, because you just need to record yourself singing, and then you can layer in other people having already sung, and, and you can... Weave together some really incredible videos. Um, Some of the ones that you shared on Twitter back in January uh, were just, like, breathtaking.
0: Well, and then one user, and I apologize, I don't have her name, but she's a violinist, did her own, like, four-part iteration. So she was layering herself on herself on herself over Nathan's vocals Mm,
1: mm
0: -hmm. um to like create sort of a whole string quartet kind of feeling. Um as far as I'm concerned, this is now the highest and best use for TikTok. This and that (laughs) guy who makes really entertaining educational videos about all of the animals in the world that will kill you. Um what was I gonna say? Um also if you if you Google Wellerman Sea Shanties, you will get a whole bunch of people trying to tell you how the Wellerman is not a sea shanty actually um because it was not intended to be a call and response work song i would argue that tiktok has made it a sea shanty because (laughs) of the way that people interact with nathan's original vocals many of them allow him to sing the main refrain and come in on the chorus making it a call and response song so
1: well and 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 Looking at the Wikipedia for what a sea shanty... Like, to to learn about the history of the sea shanty for this episode, uh, I was astonished that sea shanty as a medium was basically invented in the mid-19th century. It's definitely a a style that we associate with the age of pirates or or the age of sail, like the Napoleonic Wars. But it really wasn't. Um, your, your main man, Herman Melville, was one of the first guys, like, recording sea shanties. Um and then like robert louis stevenson invented 15 men on a dead man's chest in 1883 so that's
0: incredible yeah I'm like sorry i i did not know that um, new listeners to the podcast may not know i unironically deeply deeply love moby dick <laughs>
1: um
0: <laughs>
1: total aside i just rewatched wrath of Khan recently and there's so much melville in that
0: Really? Do he, I have to watch Wrath of Khan?
1: A, it's really good and B, um he quotes Moby Dick like 3 times in it.
0: Is it really good if I if the only Star Trek feelings I have are that I really like the one that the first one that Chris Pine is in? So my
1: my Star Trek rankings and I did tweet this recently are uh number 3, the Chris Pine 2009 Star Trek. Uh number well. n- number 2, um Wrath of Khan. And number one, best Star Trek movie, Master and Commander, which does happen to be our uh, one of our homeworks for today. Um.
0: Um, okay, I'm going to ask you to explain <laughs> that when we get there. <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, like, sea shanties were created in the mid-19th century as a combination of Anglo-American sailors uh, taking a lot of stuff from... Uh, african aka in this context uh slave traditions um and uh using it as a, a call response sort of work song at the end of the age of sail and then going into the early age of steamships um
0: so are you are you telling me that the tradi- the like the tradition of sea shanties as we understand it is kind of all fictionalized.
1: Yes. Pirates were not singing she- sea shanties. Um, uh, uh, Captain Aubrey and his crew, uh, for Master and Commander, were not singing what we would... They were not singing the Wellermen. Um, they they might have been singing songs, and, like, music was an absolutely integral part to being on a crew during the Age of Sail. Uh, pirate, both pirate ships and um, non-pirate ships <laughs> uh, absolutely um, paid good money and respected their musicians because being on a boat without like being on a boat for a long time sucks. Um, but it wasn't what we would think of as singing, you know, 50 men on a dead men's chest or whatever.
0: Fascinating. Can you define for our listener and for your co-host what time periods encompass the Age of Sail?
1: Uh, The Age of Sail ends during this, uh, when when steam power takes over, which is kind of the American Civil War. Um, Like uh, the Napoleonic era is frequently considered the height of the Age of Sail, which is when Master and Commander takes place. Um, That's, you know, 1792 to 1815 um roughly uh after that we don't get like that that's like lord trafalgar uh, or uh, sorry uh, uh lord nelson um master and commander type stuff after that you don't have pitched sea battles again in a meaningful way until we get coal powered ships um so there's just like in master and commander they talk so much about like the weather gauge and that just doesn't matter when you have a steam engine. Okay. Um, should we jump into our homeworks then, or is there anything else you want to talk about generally?
0: No, um, I, I guess I just want to make the note that, or make the note that clearly this is a trend that I wanted to look at in the context of the isolation that we are all feeling right now, because I think I, I also, and we can talk about this more when we actually get into master and commander, um, it did feel like every single streaming service suddenly wanted me to watch *Master and Commander* <laughs> these last couple months.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but I, I just think it is very interesting that even though this has seen a re- seen a surge in popularity recently, um, sea shanties in our popular culture have kind of been a thing for a while. hmm Um, like. My husband plays, um, what's the first person pirate game? I was like,
1: this sentence could go in so many different directions. (laughs) Like, he plays sea shanties on Spotify for fun. He plays a game. There's an open
0: world, there's an open world MMO.
1: I know what you're talking Uh, about and never, I, I could never come up with the name.
0: Oh my god. He's gonna...
1: Um, Is it called Burning Seas? No. Is it called Sea of Thieves? Yes. My husband
0: plays a lot of Sea of Thieves in which one of the things that you can do is play a hurdy-gurdy and have your crewmates dance to your music. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, sea shanties have been, particularly the pirate versions, um, which you are now telling me I I have been lied to about their
1: utilization. (laughs) Because, like, pirates playing music was absolutely a thing. Like the musicians on a pirate ship got a bigger cut of the the booty than like a random sailor uh, because they so were them, they were prized. They just weren't. So then,
0: are we just splitting hairs on what a sea shanty like what a, the definition of a sea shanty is?
1: Right. Like they they were not playing, uh, uh the weatherman or uh, uh, the Wellerman or fifty men on dead men's chests. They were just playing traditional. Like they were playing music that you also would have heard in the pub on land. You know, like they were just playing whatever popular song people wanted them to play on the boat you know like like there wasn't the idea of we listen to this because we are at sea um it was like yeah this song
0: is about us being at sea right which kind of makes sense if you're at sea you don't really need music to tell you that you're at sea
1: (laughs) the last thing i want is to be reminded that yes i know i'm at sea
0: still on a boat. So, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the role that music was playing on those boats. Um, I, I think that your your homework for that is a really good place to start.
1: Yeah. So I assigned the 2003 uh, movie Master and Commander colon, The Far Side of the World, directed by Peter Weir, uh, starring Russell Crowe as Captain Aubrey and um, Paul Bettany as Dr. Stephen mm, Maturin, Maturin. Uh, never actually got his last name pronounced properly, uh, The Ship's Surgeon. Um, the movie is based loosely on a epic series of books by uh, uh, Patrick O'Brien, the Aubrey Maturin series, uh, but it sort of takes from a whole bunch of different books. Um, it's not a direct movie translation of any one particular book. Um, it... Felt like it was trying to start a series that then never actually took off, which is a real shame, because it was a lot of fun. Uh, And very recently, Russell Crowe tweeted that he would fight anyone who doesn't think it's a good movie. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he did. Um, I love this movie. It's a great movie. Uh, It's got boat action, and who doesn't love boat action? Um, Basically, Russell Crowe is the captain, the master and commander of a smaller, older ship in the British Navy during the Napoleonic Wars, and is tasked with going after a new, fast, dangerous, and deadly French privateer. Um, they have a cat and mouse game. Uh, they learn the value of choosing the import- uh, the, the lesser of two weevils when in the service. Um, you get to see some surgery on a boat, and some even more harrowing surgery on land. Um meet some tortoises in the Galapagos, and eventually uh, there's a big old naval battle, and, uh, uh, spoilers, uh, Russell Crowe captures the enemy French ship by disguising himself as a whaling ship, uh, taking some cues from his naturalist friend, the Doctor's, uh, stick bug collection. Um, in this movie, specifically in terms of music, uh, first off, you definitely have some scenes of sailors singing work songs, uh, classic sea shanties, um, but also, uh, our two main characters are musicians. Um, one of them plays a cello, the other the violin, and they spend their time, their free time playing music. And that absolutely would have been the case on boats during the age of sail. Uh, again, how do you entertain yourself on a boat for months on end? Uh, you have musicians on board, uh, or you have, you have normal seamen who also happen to be proficient musicians. Um, and so the, uh... I think even when they capture the French ship, we see that he played like the French horn or something, the, the French captain. Uh, so it very much would have been not traditional per se, but like part of the education of of the educated British and French uh, captainry to also be musicians and to bring their, their musical instruments on board to entertain themselves during the months and months at sea.
0: Yeah, what I was really struck by was how the movie uses the the duet scenes between Crow and Bethany as like, these are clearly their quiet times mm-hmm. on the ship. Like, music itself is, you tend to think of it as like a performing kind of medium, and I felt very strongly that for these two men, it was their solace rather than like their public like they played for themselves rather than for their crew?
1: Yes. I um, I did keep thinking on this watch like man half the people on this boat would be hearing them play anyway. So it's a good thing that they're good musicians. Yes. <laughs> um, but you're right, like they're not they're not performing, they're simply passing the time.
0: Like they the the way that those scenes function in the movie is almost as like an interlude in between like moments of action or plot mm-hmm. we get these quiet moments of downtime between the two men where they are playing their beautiful music together and i thought that was a really lovely way i i really appreciated the way that the movie chooses to show the friendship between these two men through music mhm like it was just I, I don't know, I, I don't have a better word for it than just a really lovely way of showing this particular male friendship.
1: Well, and, like, especially in a case like this where, like, they are friends, but also, at the end of the day, one of them is the captain of the boat and the other isn't. Um True. And, and there are many scenes where they fight over it and, and Russell Crowe's like, yeah, I know you want to go to the Galapagos, but we can't. I know I promised you that we would, but we're not because...
0: But guess what? <laughs> yeah, because we're in the King's
1: <laughs> service, so that's what we're doing. Um... And then the music is, like, playing the music together is like, right, these guys are still friends. Like, they have their disagreements. They have intense disagreements. But you need to be able to work through those disagreements because you're trapped on a boat for, like, even if you're not friends, you still need a way to manage the interpersonal dynamics. Otherwise, you're going to end up uh, talking a dude into throwing himself off the boat holding a a cannonball because he thinks he's bad luck.
0: Oh, my God. What a... uh... (laughs) yeah yeah
1: but like it's it's that sort of like in a in a contained space there needs to be the way to 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 have disagreements but also have in this case like a hierarchy um and to be able to have friendships that are also in this space of hierarchy
0: It is also just sort of a trope of storytelling that like there is dialogue happening in the music. Mm -hmm. Like when, when people play music together in a, in a movie or a TV show, it is usually like rife with symbolism or like, what are they not saying? What conversation is this uh, performance kind of standing in lieu of? Mm -hmm. And I thought that, both Bentany and crow are talented enough actors did they do their own did they play their own music i know i know
1: that russell Crowe is in a band so he but i I don't know if he plays violin no idea about Bentany.
0: okay um i just i enjoyed sort of the like what are they not saying that is now being said through through this performance. And I don't know that the movie has an explicit or specific answer to that question. Um, But you, I feel like you definitely get a feeling for the depth of the friendship between these two men, partially through their communication by music.
1: Yes. And and so much of it is sort of like they're making up scenes. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. The music, the
1: music frequently happens after they've had an argument that Russell Crowe has never won because he's the captain.
0: Because he's the captain. Right.
1: <laughs> um but then the fact that they're able to play a duet together, like, helps sort of solve those disagreements. Um This doesn't actually answer your question, but the most of the the Bach uh, m- most of this is Bach, and maybe this is why I love Bach so much. Um, but uh much of it was played by Yo Yo Ma in the like, not necessarily what they're plucking along with, but the uh non Diegetic classical music was you know when you have like the best cello player in the world right now
0: when you need some cello and you can afford it Uh uh-huh that's lovely do you listen to the soundtrack like casually
1: i don't listen to the soundtrack casually but the um uh the cello suite number one which is sort of like One of the ones that they play together and is is frequented a lot. I listen to a fair amount. As like I I listen to like Bach cello suites, Um, and I think I discover that because of this movie.
0: Yeah, I I like to listen to movie soundtracks when I'm reading because Mm. I abhor a silence. But if I'm reading, I don't really want something with dialogue. Yeah, and I. If this one is streaming somewhere, I'm going to add it to my rotation. I found the music just to be across the board really lovely. Yes, yes. This was also a very, it is a beautiful movie, which can kind of trick me into thinking maybe being on a boat for a long time wouldn't (laughs) be that bad of an idea. And part of why I think that is because I've been stuck in my house for a year. (laughs) Right.
1: Like, I would love to be stuck in a boat. I could see water.
0: (laughs) And I think that that escapism element is also playing a part in this sea shanty popularity um, because these songs are about taking to the sea. (laughs) Yes, yes. life outside of our four walls. And um, I think Master and Commander does a really good job of visualizing uh what is lovely about living on a boat and traveling to new worlds um even even though i at the end of the day i think it is also pretty honest about why that was terrible yes
1: yes um there's a scene early on where um paul bettany is doing brain surgery on a dude uh which is a scene i've always enjoyed because it's like
0: of are, you do. like
1: are thems his brains no those are his brains um and then later, Paul Bettany has to perform surgery on himself, which is a horrible scene um, where Paul Bettany is, like, incredible. Um, but, like, Russell Crowe is incredible in that as well, like, doing very very quiet things. Um, this is, like, Russell Crowe right off of Gladiator, and it's one of Paul Bettany's first um, uh, film roles, at least. And they're both, like, they're on even footing in this.
0: Where did this come in relation to A Knight's Tale? Oh,
1: great question. I think it
0: came... It tur- told tur- we have access to a tool that would tell us.
1: Turns out when you uh, wiki Paul Bettany, you get a lot of Marvel stuff. Um, it I wonder is... why.
0: It's not like he's been in anything recently. <laughs> uh,
1: a Knight's Tale and A Beautiful Mind were both 2001. This is 2003. Okay. Like so, he had been in movies before, obviously. But
0: oh, was he in A Beautiful Mind?
1: He was Russell. Crow- I forgot Russell Crowe's in A Beautiful Mind too. I think he's Russell Crowe's um, imaginary so actually- friend.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. That actually,
1: like they that, that makes-, makes
0: this movie a lot more interesting.
1: <laughs> right. It's like oh, you you played friends already, which which makes a lot uh, of sense because uh. you were supposed to come in here with them being old friends.
0: You, would you call his role in *A Beautiful Mind* Russell Crowe's friend? I mean,
1: Russell Crowe's conjured, conjured assistant. I don't, I don't really know. It's been a long time since I've seen *A Beautiful Mind*, uh, and it's not one I'm chomping at the bit to rewatch. Nah,
0: there are better, there are better Russell Crowe vehicles to spend your time with.
1: Yeah, like *Master and Commander*. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to talk about this uh, before we jump on to your homework
0: uh, not unless you had anything else super pressing
1: um <laughs> I guess to defend my earlier uh, argument i I liken this to a Star Trek movie because well, it hits explain yourself yeah it hits a lot of the same beats um it, it I think a Star Trek movie lives or dies on the interaction of like whomever they want to focus their attention on so like whether that's the the original trinity of Bones, Spock, Kirk, or whether that's sort of the larger bridge crew of next gen or you know whatever. Um, and I think that the 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 duet of um, Betnay and Crow in this they they fill a lot of those same like original Star Trek roles. Star Trek is like about life on a boat. It's just about in space. Um, this feels very much like you could you could easily have this movie be a holodeck episode or alternatively transport this crew onto a spaceship and, and put it in Star Trek and have a lot of really fun adventures.
0: All of that is true, but you do understand that words have meaning.
1: <laughs> so when I say this is the greatest <laughs> Star Trek movie ever made, maybe I'm being a little bit uh, facetious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, no, I mean, I I don't think it is. I, I think it is probably true that the dynamics in Star Trek borrow a. I mean, they obviously the dynamics in Star Trek borrow a lot from like a traditional naval crew. Like right. that's what it, it's. They're, Starfeet, they're, they're, a, they're a boat I mean. in space. Yeah. Yes. So I I think that those similarities are both not accidental and also just like by virtue of the fact that we have two stories that are happening on boats.
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: Um, one one
1: final thing, and it's completely unrelated. Uh, how much were you instantly yelling at the Marine when he was trying to shoot the Albatross?
0: I mean, we've all read the Ancient Mariner at this point. Right, like, my question is why you know has that, that Marine not read the Ancient bad Mariner? Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at an albatross, do you think it would taste good? Like, I don't really look at that kind of bird and think, I think yeah, I want to eat
1: that. I think that if you've been eating only fish and slightly rancid salted pork for like the last two months, sure. Yeah, albatross, it's going to taste different at least.
0: I guess.
1: Like, get get some of those iguanas or those, some of those turtles from uh the Galapagos and eat those guys up. Does that look tasty? No. Is it different? Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. Alright, well, uh, with that all aside, let's go to your homework. Um, I was trying to do a good segue in terms of food, and there was a lot of tasty-looking cooked fish in this.
0: I guess. That's kind of a stretch.
1: Yeah, it it was the best I got.
0: That's alright. So I'm going to slap a spoiler warning at the top of this because the movie that I am picking is from this year? Or 2020? 2019. Okay, so... But, oh, oh uh, so that means
1: it was released at Tribeca in 2019, but not actually dropped in the U.S. until literally when the pandemic started last year.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's about a year old. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Blow the Man Down. Uh, it was... Written and directed by Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy, and stars um, Mar- Sophia Lowe as Priscilla, Morgan Saylor as Beth, uh, Margot Martindale as Enid. I was gonna. And a whole, I was gonna push oh, that Margo
1: I was gonna push that Margot Martindale.
0: Oh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then a whole bunch of people, including several uh, several old bearded guys whose credits are singing fishermen, <laughs> uh, which I just find delightful. Uh, so blow the man down is a small town thriller about sisters, Mary Beth and Priscilla, uh, who at the open of the movie are burying their mother. Um, and through the, through the course of the movie, Mary Beth goes out to a bar, makes some bad life decisions, goes home with a guy who she ends up killing in self-defense after she finds um, blood and weapons in his car trunk. Uh, She then turns to her sister Priscilla for help in what to do, and the two of them decide to get rid of the body. Uh, When they engage in... like, Basically, they cut the body up and shove it in a cooler and drop it in the ocean (laughs) Uh, and forget their... Forget the knife that they used to cut the body up, which has their family fisherman, family fish shop's name on the handle. When Mary Beth goes back to recover the knife, she finds a great deal of money, which it turns out belongs to Enid, played by Margot Martindale, who also runs the town's brothel, uh, which is under attack by the women of the town. It turns out that Mary Beth and Priscilla's mother had a large hand in keeping the brothel. Not running, but, like, open.
1: She and the other women in town were instrumental in kind of getting it started because, as they keep saying, it was a bad time back then. So this yeah, the was a way to make it better. Is,
0: the implication is that they have allowed the brothel to exist because it allowed the sailors and everyone who moved through this little fisher town an outlet for their sexual frustrations that are not their daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they have decided that it's time is over and they would very much like, uh, Enid to pack up and move on. She is not into that. Um, and as I said, Mary Beth and Priscilla end up with this large quantity of money that is, uh, owed to Enid. Um, Enid finds the knife intending to bargain with the sisters to get it back. Um, and also, all of this is happening in a very small town, the likes, of, the kind of which everyone like knows each other's secrets, anyways. So while all of this subterfuge is happening, the sisters are also trying to prevent the police from finding out what happened. For example,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's a um, uh, one of the sex workers at the brothel was also murdered, and her body gets discovered. Um, so we have murder plots tangentially related to our main characters
0: it is a it is a cascading um effect of secrets coming to light because murder
1: mm-hmm. um you were saying that it felt very much like a a comedy free cohen or not comedy free but like a a played straight cohen movie um yes. which i completely agree with and i would just add it also feels like a um like a a non mystical twin peaks in the sense of we're digging into the seedy underbelly of a otherwise nice seeming small town.
0: Um, And the reason that I picked it for this particular show is because in between the major story scenes, you get this uh, Greek chorus esque group of fishermen who appear singing different sea shanties Um, they do sing Blow the Man Down at one point. Um, I did not look into the other sea shanties that they sing. One of them I liked quite a bit. Um.
1: I, I like all sea shanties and could not tell you the name of, like, any of them. Other than Blow the Man Down. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, but, yeah, so they kind of show up to put a little stinger on, uh, every like it it almost made it feel like a play like you would have an act of the play the fisherman would show up sing some verses of the sea shanty and kind of usher in the next uh act of the movie Mm -hmm.
1: um yeah sea shanties begin and end it uh
0: So, I had seen this before, which was why I told you to watch it. (laughs) Um, How did you, did you enjoy this movie?
1: I did. I enjoyed this a lot. Um, I had kind of forgotten everything about it when I started watching it, other than our conversation last episode about how, I was like, is this like a Cthulhu-Innsmouth situation? And you're like, no, it's just a a murder story i'm like oh okay and then i'd kind of forgotten that so i'm like okay wait so is this like a cthulhu insmouth situation um <laughs> <laughs> uh but that's only because my brain is broken and can't remember anything um no uh i i really enjoyed it i thought margo martindale was incredible obviously um i loved the old ladies uh they all seemed like they were having a very good time and it felt very it was a nice thing I hadn't seen before, but instantly felt right. Of like, the like they these ladies who seem like they're just normal, nice old ladies uh, in a in a Maine fishing town uh, do have some buried secrets amongst them all. Um, I'm a big fan of a good old Mayner accent, and there was a lot of Mayner accents in this. On the one hand, it felt like it, this movie was trying to juggle maybe one too many plot lines. But I almost enjoyed that in the shagginess of it all. Like, there's all these things going on, some of which are relevant to our main characters, some of which aren't, but they're all still going on. Um, and it, it it just felt like shaggy in a lived-in way.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the movie is kind of about everyone eventually learning each other's secrets. So... There are a lot there are a couple of different things that become catalysts for that but in general it feels like the death of Mary Beth and Priscilla's mother becomes um, the tipping point for a lot of different town secrets to sort of bubble up mm-hmm well that,
1: I, that and then obviously the death of uh, Gorski who is the um, uh, the muscle slash kind of he's not really a pimp but like he's kind of the muscle for the brothel.
0: Right. So side note, um, I just looked it up and the, the sea shanty that gets the most play is a song called blood, red roses. Mm. Um, which listen to this, uh, some believe it to be a genuine shanty sung during the 19th century, albeit an uncommon one. While others believe it to have been made up by a L Lloyd in 1956, where it was sung in the movie, Moby Dick.
1: Hey, well, there you go.
0: So we are not sure where the providence of this one is, um, but it is a pretty brutal song um, about how rough life on the sea is. Um, And I I think it is telling that the first shanty we hear them sing is Blow the Man Down, which is very raunchy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they transition to Blood Red Roses as things in the movie get... um, more, like, increasingly more violent and brutal.
1: Both both the title and the lyrics of Blood Red Roses make it seem like it's a Nick Cave song.
0: Yeah, a little bit. The, um... The little explanation that I just read to you says, uh, no one is sure what the Blood Red Roses the song is titled after are referring to. I actually think it's pretty clear that we're talking about women. Yeah. Um... 'Cause I, I think that it the importance of the brothel and Enid as the um, like the mother of this whorehouse is so key to the story that I, I do think that it's on purpose that the the shanties that are sung in this movie um kind of revolve around sexual relationships with presumably whores, uh, in these two different songs.
1: Yeah. Well, and also like Blood Red Roses is a that's hitting the war sailors singing about women on like five different directions. Right. So like, yeah, (laughs) it's probably about women.
0: Um, But I do enjoy this idea that we have a sea shanty that may or may not be like a historical sea shanty, but clearly is one now. Like, no matter how old this song is. Well, that that's like you talking about
1: Wellerman. Like, is Wellerman a traditional sea shanty? Maybe not. Is it a actual, like, is it a sea shanty? Absolutely. Um, and I think so much of that is the fact that, like, sea shanties themselves were both actual things, but also kind of fictional constructs. Like, the way we we view them now is not what they were. So they've become, like, almost divorced from their actual historical like roots
0: well and even if it even if a song was created even if this shanty was created in the 1950s if fishermen now are using it as a call and response work song right then
1: then it is a sea shanty
0: (laughs) it is a sea shanty right um because as you i believe you pointed out um it's not like people don't go out in boats anymore like professional Mm -hmm. fishermen are still a thing.
1: I did not point that out, but I will happily take credit for having done so.
0: Okay, then I'm pointing it out. (laughs) Um, Like, it is illegal to be a whaler unless you are a native person for whom it is culturally important.
1: In in the United States, it is illegal to be a whaler.
0: Yes. In most countries... Looking at you, Japan. Yes. Um, but Like, commercial fishermen still exist mm-hmm. um like there are still very much maritime occupations out there where i'm sure they they make use of these i i find it hard to believe that if you worked on a boat you did you would not occasionally oh my god bust if, out the sea if, chanting. if
1: i worked on a boat all i would be doing would be sea chanting because i'm on a boat right. <laughs> I would be obnoxious about it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, this might not be anything, but I think there's something to the idea of Master and Commander were were trapped in a, a small boat on the water for months on end. In Blow the Man Down, we're we're not trapped on a boat, but we are all in a small town where everyone knows everyone. And
0: oh, we're pretty trapped. Yeah, it's... like,
1: but it, it's the same idea of, like, we need to be able to navigate all of our different social, like, structures successfully in a very confined space where people just are, like, know each other too well. Um, obviously, a town is a lot bigger, like... The the girls don't seem to know Enid uh all that well. Like, they, they know her kind of, and they know that she was close to their mom, but, like, they clearly haven't, you know... Clearly, it wasn't a, a close relationship when the girls were growing up in the same way that the other older women had what appeared to be a closer relationship with them growing up. Um, but they still know who she is, and she knows who they are and all the rest of it. Um, so... Sort of thinking of the idea of like, we're talking about sea shanties, but we're also talking about like boat life and how that corresponds to quarantine life. And this sort of hits that idea of navigating, in this case, heightened social drama and tensions uh, because murder um, in very enclosed spaces where everyone knows everyone and there's no real like out
0: I absolutely think that the movie is drawing a parallel between the claustrophobia of being on a ship and the claustrophobia of living in a small town. Mm. Like, I think that that's one of the reasons the, the fishermen are singing the sea shanties at all is to make that parallel. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't we don't see them at sea. We see them bringing their catch in and existing on the docks. So the the fact that they're singing these work songs while they are in port, I think is meant to evoke the same... Kind of claustrophobia and entrapment that one would feel being out at sea. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think that's nothing. I think that's very intentional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, anything else you want to talk about, uh, either about this movie or about anything in general, sea shanties in general, or should we start wrapping up?
0: Go listen to Nathan Evans. His stuff is incredible. Um, if you just, if you are a TikTok user, just by searching, like, sea shanties as a tag, um, YouTube, I think, also now has a bunch of <laughs> compilations. I was gonna say, I, if, if
1: you're old like me, go to YouTube.
0: I spent, like, three hours listening, like, running down the rabbit hole of all of the different duets people had done, and by the end of it, I felt the way that Willem Dafoe looks in the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, you have not seen The Lighthouse yet, have you?
0: That is correct. Cool. Only only in gifts.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And I, I believe I told you off-air that probably the only way that I would watch it is if you made me for a homework.
1: Yeah, it would be a tough episode to figure out where I would assign that. Also, I don't know if I would ever... That is a movie that I think you should watch, but I also want you to go in... Um, not being let like not being forced to do so <laughs> uh I'm
0: sure it is a very good movie i am also pretty sure that it is not my cup of tea i
1: am pretty sure it is not your cup of tea but it's fascinating tea <laughs> uh yeah so uh so that that seems like a pretty good place to end then Thank you all so much for listening to this episode on sea shanties. As Martha said, do make sure you go listen to a bunch of sea shanties, uh, and also the Master and Commander soundtrack. Just listen to a bunch of Bach cello suites; it's kind of great. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter at dydyh podcast, uh, same handle, or on Instagram. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook by just searching "Did You Do Your Homework Podcast." You can find us in any podcatcher, which you already know because you're listening to it. But do rate and review us. Give us that five star. Uh, share us with your friends. Um, Martha, where can people find you? People can find
0: me at pretty much all of the places at Magical Martha. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. I also sometimes write a newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, which I update whenever I feel like it.
1: Cool. Uh, and any other podcasts you want to plug?
0: Uh, Yes, in fact, Um, I do another show that updates on the same feed called Love Ya, where Pete's wife, Maren, and I watch teen movies and rom-coms and talk about them in detail. Our last episode was on the Netflix original Set It Up, and our next uh, episode will be on the Amazon Prime original, which is very unfortunate. I'm going to have to figure out when to watch it so I don't cross the virtual picket line, um, a map of tiny, perfect things.
1: That's a really good point. Uh, boycott Amazon for the next couple days. Uh, Solidarity. Yeah, the, or this yes. upcoming week.
0: Yeah, it's March 7th through the 13th.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's in support with the uh, the unionization attempt that's going on down in Georgia. Yes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O 3000. Uh, politics and pop culture uh, as usual very excited for our next episode i'm
0: it's our 100th episode i was gonna say
1: assuming i've done the math right it is our 100th episode
0: which is wild
1: absolutely insane uh we started this shortly after trump was elected was the idea and then our first episode was right around his inauguration and now he out and we're still here
0: our podcast is officially longer lasting than trump yes
1: um, and I believe the Confederacy yep.
0: <laughs> What a legacy <laughs> Ah
1: um, so we are going to have a very special two-part episode of our top 100 things. um we're pop gonna cultural be, things. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, pop cultural things.
0: <laughs> not uh, just things. I like, like we're not gonna put like coffee re- on there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Beer real tasty. <laughs> um no uh yeah our, our our top 100 pop culture things we're still working out exactly the rules but we're pretty sure uh it's it's 50 pop culture things a person no overlaps and ranked so uh we're navigating the specifics on that one but next episode we'll be doing numbers I guess 100 through 50 and then the the following episode we'll be doing numbers 49 to 1 or 151 whatever it'll be an even number both times um so yeah tune into that that is going to be in two weeks we're going to start our, our 100 episode birthday uh extravaganza uh, and until yeah, then hey. yeah yay uh and until then thank you all so much for listening hope you enjoyed these sea shanties and your time on boats uh listen to i'm on a boat by lonely island with t-pain and until then until next until next episode Class dismissed.
0: Can you cut a little bit of the Wellerman into this episode somewhere?
1: Probably, if I can find a version of it to download, which I certainly can.